This is the Blake and Jake Podcast. You gotta have, like I said, four lines banging all night long, banging bodies, doing little things right. Slashing is um, like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, there's a penalty for that? Yeah. Recorded at the studios of Ryerson University, Blake has the on-ice experience. Jake is a longtime hockey writer and podcaster. Together, it's a hardcore hockey podcast with insights from media, players, and fans. You do that, you go to the box, you know, uh, two minutes by yourself, and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Now, here's your host. All right, let's go! Blake and Jake. There's been a big fuss made about the Vegas Golden Knights off to the Stanley Cup final. Equal amount for the Washington Capitals. But the biggest story from us is my boy Blake Norman is heading to game one of the Cup finals, driving down to Vegas with his dad. Blake, you must be pretty freaking pumped up. Vegas, baby. Let's go. Game gotta one. A, I'm pumped. Gotta get a McLovin ID. I know, I need to, if anyone has any hookups for a, a, a fake ID on very short notice, let me know. But if not, I got, uh, I got uh, you know, resources with me, a.k.a. my dad. <laughs> Daddy can buy the beers. Welcome back to episode, uh, what, what episode is this, Blake, 29? 29. 20? Marc-Andre Fleury. This is episode Marc-Andre Fleury, and I mean, we'll be talking about him a lot, so fittingly that uh, the flowers number is there. But anyways, the big topic, of course, is the Stanley Cup Finals, which is between the Vegas Golden Knights and Washington Capitals. In terms of storylines, Blake, I guess you could argue this is the most optimal in terms of what people would want, no? Yeah, no, you have the, the team out of nowhere, the expansion team that was 500-1 to one odds at the start of the season, and then you got the team that everyone says, oh, it's their year, but they never make it because they always choke. So there's a ton of storylines in this final, and I think we're just gonna get more as the series goes on, and as it well it hasn't even started. So like all these storylines, and then game one, I bet bunch of new storylines. I bet these teams are gonna be going at each other from the from the get go. Like it's gonna be heated, it's gonna be gritty, it's gonna be tough, it's gonna be entertaining. Before we get tuned to the series, I almost skipped over this. So Blake's going to the game one, obviously, which is pretty awesome. You have a great time and. We were thinking that Blake's got to wear a t-shirt or some kind of shirt to kind of troll Vegas or not Vegas, but the teams that screwed up. So my idea was for Blake to wear a shirt, like a Vegas shirt saying, thank you, Talon. And then you could have, find some kind of creative way to put Smith and Marshall. What was your idea again? What do you want to do? So, so mine was going to be obviously the Vegas Golden Knights logo on the front. Then on the back, uh, the nameplate would just say, thank you. And then it would be instead of a, a number, it'd be a, it'd be it'd be like Talon, semicolon, Marshall So, Riley Smith, uh, Yarmo Kekalainen, first round pick, William Carlson, Jim Rutherford, Mark Andre Fleury, second round pick, and then uh, the GM for I'm blanking on his name right now for the Minnesota Wild. Thank the you for former one, uh, that Paula was- and Tuck. Yeah. Chuck Fletcher. 
Um, so, I mean, I don't really know. who Who's, like, the easiest target in this case? Would it be Dale Talon? I think it's got to be Dale Talon, yeah. You give up two top six forwards. before They were top six forwards before the expansion draft, and you give them up for nothing. That's That's not good. The one thing with Dale Talon, I have a hunch he doesn't deserve as much blame because I'm pretty sure he was told to get rid of salary. Yeah, I'm, I, that is true. I think that's the main reason why it Riley Smith was given up because he, he had so many years at $5 million. But still, that's, that's a poor decision. The Smith one not... Okay, the Marshall one, bonehead move, but especially at the, at the value they had him at, like, come on. But my issue in terms of Florida with Riley Smith is yet is it's not as big because he did regress the year before and it kind of on the surface let's be honest no one expected Riley Smith to be this good this year we have to give him that credit no no one did but he he was given the opportunity to be a number one center and he's sure as hell been a number one center he's played wing and center between him and Carlson but yeah Carlson uh towards the end has played the majority of the time at center but a first line First line forward, you know. So let's get into the, the Golden Misfits while we're at it. So, you know, they're off to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year of existence, which is just bonkers. You know, markets have waited years and years, and this team is now right in the you know, Stanley Cup Finals, which is freaking huge for the market itself in Vegas. You know, it's funny because when, when Vegas came into the league, I myself was saying, like, you know, they're going to try to put a competitive product because they need to attract a market. They need, especially with the NFL coming in 2020, you need to have some sort of base set up. And oh my gosh, have they ever. So let's be honest with that. But the Vegas Golden Knights have made history there in the Stanley Cup Finals. And they've done it in convincing fashion. They swept the Kings for nothing. And, you know, that's against Quick, who is playing some great hockey as well. That, that's against a brick wall. They really edged out hard, you know, playoff series games early on to this. I mean, it, it's a huge testament for that. The Sharks, they took in the six games. And we'll talk about Winnipeg in five. Like, what of the of those three series was the most convincing? Do you believe it was Winnipeg? Oh, it's got to be Winnipeg for me. Like the the sweep of the Kings was very impressive because they they kind of had to play towards the King style a little more. But I think the dismantling of the Winnipeg Jets was the most impressive because they won four straight against in in the conference final against the Winnipeg Jets, like one of the highest scoring teams in the NHL. One of the, the the top, arguably the second best team in the NHL going into the playoffs. And they just, after that first period in game one, Vegas just took command of that series. Like, it was, it was, an, it was something to watch. It's crazy because the thing you, so the Jets have, pro, let's be honest, the Jets probably the most offensive firepower in the league. And you look, and I myself, like, let's be honest, I picked, you know, the Jets to win. A lot of people did. Um, but. I myself thought that the star power on the Jets would be a problem for Vegas. And it turned out to be the absolute opposite. And that's why I think heading into Washington, obviously Ovechkin's a different breed, don't get me wrong, but what they proved against a team like the Jets was a huge statement. Like, big time. Especially, you know, with, with their defensemen, and we'll get into the matchups soon, but just on Vegas and this run, Blake, is this one of the most exciting teams you've seen? Take away their story. Like, I mean... The story behind Vegas can kind of create an illusion of them as a hockey team. So take away that part. Do you think they're one of the most exciting teams you've seen in the last five years? 
Oh, to watch? They're they're incredibly entertaining. They they remind me of those twenty twelve Kings because, you know, although the Kings were an eight seed that year and Vegas is a one seed, the Kings came into that playoff playoff run as complete outliers and had no hope from the outside world. And you're seeing with these two teams a goaltender leading the way, along with a a committed and like a committed and driven roster, and they're behind this amazing coach in Gerard Gallant. They Gerard Gallant has kept this team to, to their game plan since puck drop of game one in round one, and it's been it's been crazy to watch. Florida's playing the best hockey of his career. 12-3 record, 9.47 save percentage, and a 1.68 goals against average. Undoubtedly, the cons my favorite for them. Um, I think that it's definitely... I mean, a case, a case is to be made... You know, okay, if they didn't have Flurry, they wouldn't be in the playoffs, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you could say that about any team in the playoffs if they didn't have their starting goalie. Right, but some teams could... Okay, that's true, but some teams could find a way to squeeze. I don't know if Vegas has any shot without Flurry. I mean, you, you, you obviously you'd say that, but like you look at the that legacy first, filled in that first month. Not just legacy; they had legacy, dance, and Subban all step in and play play very well and win them hockey games. So you're right. You, know, you could say that, but it, it this is the Golden Knights. They've been able to plug guys into their. Obviously, they haven't broken up that top line, but they've been got, pl- able to plug guys into their bottom nine forwards, and every like their bottom four defense pairings. Like guys have been in and out of the lineup, and everyone's been able to keep their cool, keep their game plan. It's been crazy. I apologize for anyone hearing my uh, my dogs right now. My seventeen pound wiener dog is losing his shit because he's about to go on a walk. But let's continue. <laughs> Seriously. When I watch Vegas, I also find myself puzzled. I, I, I find myself puzzled how some of these guys, so like, for example, Brent McNabb and Nate Schmidt, you know, their top pairing, who was fantastic against Mark Shifley. And, you know, I expect them to be that way, you know, against Ovechkin. You look at that pairing. So those guys are, you know, on paper, stupidest term now, obviously. But they're perceived as bottom pairing guys. I think there's less of a divide between, you know, a middle six guy and a first liner. And a bottom pairing guy and a, and a first pairing guy on the back end. Would you say that? Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, like, this has just shown us the the gap between a player that's on the cusp of making their their NHL team as a full time player, and compared to a full time player on a, on a roster, is so slim. And like we've seen it in Nate Schmidt, Colin Miller, like these guys were weren't in the lineup every every game for their respective teams, the Washington Capitals and Boston Bruins, only a year ago, and now they're playing key roles in a cup in a cup run. And then you look at guys like Flurry. Flurry lost his starting job. You know, mm-hmm. William Carlson was a bottom six forward. It it's just all these all these guys are taking their opportunity and really seizing the moment. And it's it's incredible to see all of them having that same mindset, and it's really all working, all coming together amazingly. I talked to Mike Johnston of the Portland Winterhawks uh, two days ago, former coach of the Penguins, just about a story I'm doing on Brendan Leipzig, which will be out soon. And, uh, you know, a big part of it is about opportunity and, you know, how, how important that is. He, he made a point to me that, you know, if you have the opportunity, 
you have no shot. It's really clear cut. Like if you don't have the opportunity, you can't play the game you want to play. You know, and, and because of that, you're forced to play a different kind of game, and your your skill set's limited. Like Colin Miller, for example, I remember seeing Colin Miller occasionally last year. Like he he would be with Providence sometimes. You know, like he mm-hmm. he was he could score really on the AHL, but he kind of seemed like a tweener. You know, and and for years we perceived these tweeners as guys that will never get over that hump. What Vegas proved is if you take those tweeners and put them in prime position, obviously there's other factors. It can work, and it, it's really interesting. It, I. Blake, do you think that there's there's a fallout from this in hockey? Do you think there's a, a domino effect or can it not be repeated? Because there's a very clear line of, you know, what Vegas can make work and what can be applied, you know, in other instances. I mean, you could say teams could copy this, but I think it really all comes it it all comes from Gerard Gallant. Like Gerard Gallant's the one that's got all these guys seizing their opportunity. Gerard Gallant is the one that's got all these guys playing to their game style and playing as a team as one unit. You know, it's not it's not like you can just go and fish out of the free free agent market and build a team out of there. You know, it's not like you can just find certain guys that are good at their role and just be like, "All right, we're going to plug you here, you here, you here." Right. And they're going to play like the Vegas Golden Knights. It's it's really a it's a it's a team you know it's a unit it takes everyone it's from management down George McPhee knew what he was doing from the first pick of that draft like he had a plan and it's working to a T obviously I don't obviously no one in Vegas was like all right we're going to the cup final after seeing their expansion draft not even Vegas was saying that but they had belief they had hope they had guys in position to succeed but no like every team doesn't have this this luxury of an expansion draft like these expansion draft rules were pretty nice compared to years in the past and you know they they've just been able to plug guys in the spots that they were meant to be in and it's it's crazy to watch now shifting to the series and they're kind of output there they're four games away from winning the stanley cup which is so weird to say it's i mean this story cannot get any crazier and to beat and to get those four wins you're gonna have to tame alex ovechkin the best they can Vegas is a team that doesn't really line match, and that's something that's kind of cool with Dragalon. You know, he he's basically formed four lines that he can trust, three parents he can trust, and he can put them out there whenever. But with someone like Ovechkin, do you think that they do a little bit of line matching? Maybe put McNabb and Schmidt on him. Schmidt did play well against Shifley. He he literally was all over him, and he's a former team of Ovechkin. A little bit of a narrative there. Do you think that we could see some line matching? Uh honestly, like. I really don't think so. I don't. I think Gerard Glant sticks to their game plan, sticks to their their kind of ice time regiments, and they don't change anything. And I, I wouldn't if I was him. You know, you stick to your game plan. You don't you don't change your your style of play for another team. You stick to what got you there. You stick to what has gotten you success. And no, I don't. I definitely don't think they line match. I mean, maybe a little bit, but. Nothing crazy like we've ever seen in the past where teams will glue a certain D pairing to a team's top line. But wouldn't you argue, the one argument to that is like, you need to have a plan for Ovechkin. He's a different, I, I, you watch him through the series and through the games and he's on that one, like in game, sorry, the conference finals, all those goals were one-timers. Every single goal. And one of them was an automatic rush, but save for that one, I believe all of them were from his sweet spot. You don't combat that back with, you know, a guy paying an extra attention to him or no? 
No, because I I think if you have one guy or one position that is consistently paying attention to him, then I think it takes away from your defensive zone game plan, and I, that's why I don't I don't think Vegas will do that because that's not really how you beat this this Washington Capitals team. You gotta if you're Vegas, you gotta stick to your speed, hard hitting, four checking game, and like. I think Vegas has the perfect kind of style to shut down Ovechkin as a team because they're always in your face. They don't give you a lot of time and space, whether it's in the neutral zone or the offensive zone. So I think that's really just how you have to play Ovechkin in the series. You just got to stay tight checking. Like the, Whenever he gets the puck, you got to have someone within a stick length away from him or be right on him because that's how you're going to shut him down. And you know Ovechkin isn't the kind of guy that has the amazing amazing agility and ability to weave through guys with his skating. He does it with power. So if you have someone who is already on him and already on his stick, then that's how you shut him down. That's that's how I look at it. Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely see that. So let's shift over to Washington. And with Washington, you know, they had a absolutely monstrous, and, and a big statement games in like game six and seven, where they, they shut up Lightning, who, you know, save, the Jet, save for the Jets are probably... Again, up there with the best offensive teams in the league, um, they they are just rolling. They're 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 a different group. They're not just about Ovechkin. You know, Hopi's regained his form. Kuznetsov filled in for Backstrom. Well, Carlson is doing his thing. And what's interesting, we talked about this last episode, is their supporting cast. So you know, Oshie, Eller, Wilson. Wilson's got eleven points, sixteen games. Obviously, with Tom Wilson, we don't get to talk about his scoring too much because he's being an idiot. But he's producing quite well. Burkowski. Last game, finally scored two goals. Their team defense is really tightened up since the regular season. Everyone is buying in from not just Ovechkin. That's what makes the Capitals really scary. No, yeah, the Capitals, they, they never looked, even during that Tampa Bay series when they lost those three straight games, and both, two of which at home, games three, four, and five, they never really looked like they were off their game. It was To me, it was just Vasilevsky that was the difference. You know, he, he really dominated those games and stood on his head and got Tampa Bay back into the series. Tampa Bay still wasn't scoring at 5-on-5 five five very well, even during the, the midst of their, their mini winning streak in, this, in the series. But it's, it's the Capitals' ability to, to fight this kind of this doubt of everyone and just kind of stick... You know, Barry... Again, I go back to coaching. These coaches have got these these group of players and group of men to really stay focused and driven on a certain mentality. And the Caps look like a championship mentality team. You know, you can't lose, th- losing after losing three straight games in a playoff series and still being able to finish that series off with dominant performances. You know, that, that says something about your group. That says something about your coaching staff. And you know, it just says something about your team altogether, and that you you can fight through adversity. Like this, this Capitals team has been doing it all playoffs. And Ovechkin himself has really elevated his play. This is this is, you know, people say a lot. Ovechkin's playing like he's eighteen again. Well, we'll know because when he was eighteen, he wasn't you know back checking. He wasn't hit, you know hitting as hard. He wasn't really at the compete level. He's playing like his new self. It's kind of like you know the way Ovechkin's playing is kind of like what LeBron is doing. You know, LeBron is at you know, 30-some years old, is still dominant, and he's still getting better. That's what we see with Ovechkin. And to be quite honest, his shot, 
has to be the most dangerous, like the most lethal in the league over Lani, any of those guys, because whenever he's got a little bit of time and space, it's almost surely a goal. You know, it's money when the when the Caps need one goal, they're down, they got a six on five. Who's the puck going to? It's going to Ovi and it's probably going in the back of the net. And that's dangerous. And it's crazy. What would a cup win mean for his legacy? And I, and, and I, I say that obviously huge, but it would probably silence a lot of critics. Oh, it would silence everyone. He he's known as the best goal scorer in our generation, and I think the the cup is his cherry on top. He if he can win this cup, he will. He'll definitely be a hall of famer. You know, he'll even without a cup, he'll still be a hall of famer. He no, he this this will be the cherry on top, and you know he he'll play the rest of his career with ease. Knowing he's won the Stanley Cup because he's it's been in his ear ever since Sid won his first one in '09. Like those two guys have always been compared to each other. Sid's obviously had his success, and if Ovi wins this, it, he'll be the happiest man in the world. Like, did you see him with the Prince of Wales trophy? He never he took it home to with him. He took it home to his house in Washington. Like he never let go of the trophy. It was hilarious. Both teams touched it. Yeah, but it was it was. Just hilarious watching Ovechkin. He was like some little kid that found his new favorite toy or favorite hat and wasn't letting go. Like this, he was like a little kid bringing his toy to the dinner table, bringing his toy in the bathroom with him, bringing his toy to bed. Like I bet you Ovechkin put the trophy in between him and his wife. That oh night. for sure. It's it was it was it made me happy to watch. Like you can't not smile when you see Ovechkin as happy as he was after that game seven. When they made past round two, you could see, I read an article about him, like, in Backstrom, just looking at each other, giving each other the biggest hug, like, you know, it's like, we've been waiting so long for this. Seriously. Yeah. So long. And that's why I think that they're easier to cheer for than Vegas. Because that's the thing, like, to root for a team, Washington's really, really been in the trenches, and, like, they have just had it so tough. They've, think of it, they've been beaten by Pittsburgh so many times in the second round, They've had the arguably one of the like not arguably one of the best players in the world, and they still have not been able to even reach the cup. Vegas makes it in round one, you know. Like Washington's story of being able to win finally and prevail is great because we never see that in hockey. Like Washington was as good as a write-off, was it not? In mm. our minds, this no, year, I definitely agree. I agree. No, definitely. I mean, just look at what they did in game six and seven, like. They shut down the best offense in the league. Tampa Bay had 290 goals in the regular season. Where did that offense go? Like, they were absolutely silenced. Stamkos is now 3-3 three and three in career Game 7s and has been held pointless in all of them. That's yep. horrible. How was he not getting any heat? I have never heard any criticism towards Steven Stamkos in regards to playoff success. I mean, maybe it's because the team has been to the cup final, and has been to a number of conference finals. But at some point, this guy's got to get some heat. Like, zero points in six game sevens as an $8 million centerman in the NHL, that is bad. It's unacceptable. Like no. you, you can't win that way. No, you can't. And the thing is, it's funny you say that. Okay, so there's no criticism on Stamkos, but then today, Toronto Star, in the most... Okay, I like the Toronto Star, but I find that Dave Festchuk on in, in the Toronto beat, he just has some things that are questionable. So he writes, good decision for the Maple Leafs not taking Stamkos. What? 
come on, buddy. You would not know, A, if Stamkos would be this bad on the Leafs. You would not know. It's such a weak connection. Like, come on. Uh, that's, I think that's just the writer looking for, looking for reads. It's stupid. Like, why does it have to do with the Leafs? It's it's because it's the Toronto Sun and it's a headline. Toronto Star, but Toronto Star. Like that's so stupid. I think it's stupid. So let's match the two teams together here. You talked about Washington's defense and you know how well like they they shut out Tampa in their last two games. That's a massive statement game. That that's got to be worrisome for for Vegas's attack. No. Uh yeah no it's it's definitely got to be like again uh, Washington doesn't line match as much as other teams do in the past. So it's going to be an interesting series. It's really going to be two teams. Hopefully it's going to be two teams playing their game and sticking to their game style. I mean, it could get into a, a very heated coaching battle with all the line matches and whatnot. But I don't know. The, the Capitals have shown the ability to shut teams, teams' offensive power down. Like in that Pittsburgh series, obviously we don't know the injuries, but the Capitals shut down Phil Kessel and Evgeny Malkin, two elite scorers. Obviously, Crosby had a success, but the Capitals were able to shut down those two elite players. They were able to shut down Kucherov and Stamkos, arguably the two, the the best one-two punch on a line in the NHL this season. And then you know you, now you're coming into Vegas. You got to shut down that top line. I think they they definitely can do it because, again, we've also seen. Washington have this ability that whenever they have a lead in the third period, and Vegas is very good at protecting a lead in the third period as well. I believe they're like 9-0 or something going into the third period with a lead. But the Washington Capitals have this, this kind of where they, they, I've been hearing it on the broadcast, they call it a picket fence. And that's where they have four guys literally lined up along the blue line when the other team's trying to break out of their zone and get into the offensive zone. And but Washington will send their one four-checker and he's not even super aggressive. He's very passive. He just kind of angles them to the outside. And they got this picket fence defense that lines up across the blue line and makes it extremely hard to, A, get into the offensive zone, and then, B, set anything, set anything up with any consistency. And I think that's really... And that, that's a, obviously, again, big ups to Barry Trotz. But this team has been committed to shutting teams' offensive games down. And that's how they've been closing out these big games. Could definitely be a, a low scoring. I mean, as much firepower as there could definitely be a low scoring series. Yeah, I think it'll be. It won't be like insanely high scoring, but it will. will still have some real highlight, real goals. I believe because you got you got the flash and and Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, Oshie, Backstrom, and then you also got the flash of James Neal. He's been scoring those big goals in big ways. That top line, Carlson Smith, Marsha, so that. Breakaway goal that Marshall so scored in the first minute against the Jets. I believe it was game four. Like 45 that seconds That was disgusting. In. It was great. Yeah. It's funny. You just mentioned... Uh, sorry, who did you just mention? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, it's interesting with Vegas. How, you know, they have all... They have Neil in a supporting role now. So, you know, Neil scored 25 goals for them. And when he came aboard, it's like, you kind of have that, that thinking, like, okay, James Neal can't be your star player, right? And it turned out, he was just a great supporting role for them. Like, like he was really good, but, like, because Smith, Marshall, and Carlson are who they were, you have Neal in your second line, and he provides you a great sense of depth. Like, that, that's the thing that people forget about. Like, you're getting 25 goals from Neal, not on your top line. 
He's a big guy in the power play. He's, he was in the Stanley Cup Finals last year. You know, that's a guy that's pretty valuable here to have. Yeah, he definitely is. Like, Vegas has great depth. I Like, let's get into that bottom six. That fourth line is amazing to watch. They eat up so much Read offensive it to us. zone time. Do you, have a, do you have it in front of you? I do not. But what was the uh, debate that we were having the other day? The, the fact that Vegas... Vegas's fourth line and even third line can put up these offensive zone numbers is ridiculous because it's so valuable. In my opinion, that's really how they're shutting down other teams' offensive pressure because it breaks up. You know, traditionally, if your fourth, third, and fourth line are out, you're probably going to be spending more time in the defensive zone. So that's why they don't play as much. But with Vegas, they're able to. They're able to throw these guys out whenever they want, and even if the the other team's top line is out against them, they still have the ability to tip that puck in and cycle the puck for a bit and take away a shift from a second line or even a first line of an opposing team. And that's been a huge key point of value to Gerard Gallant. They've even scored big goals. Who do you got in the series, Blake? I think I got... I don't know. Like it's this one's a really hard one. Obviously, I want to say it goes to seven, but I'm gonna take Washington and six. I'm gonna go Washington and seven. Uh, betting against the Golden Knights. Why do we like do it. this? I don't know. To me, to me, it's just the the Capitals Fun. have this this inner momentum with them. Like Lars Eller saved their season. They were down 2-0, game three in Columbus, double overtime, and Lars Eller scores this fluke of a goal to really turn their playoff around and make that series 2-1. As we all know, they went on to win four straight in that series and beat the Blue Jackets in six games. But that Lars Eller, like that was the one of the flukiest overtime goals I've ever seen. I believe he just threw it at the net and it went off two Columbus Blue Jackets players and then trickled into the net. But to save your season on that, like he saved so many people. He saved Ovechkin. He probably saved Holtby from a trade. He probably saved Barry Trotz. Uh, Barry Trotz should get a new contract now for sure. But he, I, he definitely saved Trotz. You know, he saved all these guys. And now they're in the Stanley Cup final. And Lars Eller's still playing a huge role, but... It's the the adversity that this team has had to fight through. You have that round one story, and then you have, and their starting goalie didn't even start. Obviously, we know that. And then you have round two where they they go up against the mighty Penguins and have to slay the dragon. And then you go up against the best offense in the league, lose three straight in the midst of that series, and still come back to win that series with back to back shutouts. And now you're in the Stanley Cup final with Alexander Ovechkin. You know this team has been through the adversity. They have the veterans. They have the young guys. They have the energy. They have the coach. They're, I think they're built for this, this Stanley Cup. We're making a mistake right now. Betting against Vegas. We've done this. I don't know. Like, Should I, should I change it? You know what? Screw, no, uh, you, you said it. But I, I, I didn't bet against Vegas last round, actually. I said they'd beat your Jets. And, that, and I was right. Yep, you were, Blake. They dismantled the Winnipeg Jets. Let's move they took on. That, they took that jet plane apart, bolt by bolt, sheet of metal by sheet of metal, in four games. Domination. Blake was into airplanes growing up. Anyways, let's shift over I'm to kidding. Toronto, where we 
both lived during the, the season. We're now in the off-season. Um, actually, it's like a finals. Personnel changes in Toronto. Big things are happening. So Kyle Dubas, same general manager as we talked about, and then the dominoes started falling. Mark Hunter, the chief scout, and uh, but formerly the assistant general manager, has left and parted ways. Lou Lamorello has moved on to the New York Islanders, and he'll run his no-beard ship over there. <laughs> and Lawrence Gilman, friend of the show, was on our second episode, um, is hired as the least assistant general manager and the general manager of the Marlies. He'll oversee player personnel. Um, sorry, one more move to mention is Brandon Pridham has been promoted as the other assistant general manager. So right now, here's basically the, the front office structure of the Leafs. You got Cliff Fletcher as a senior advisor. And then you got Brent Shannon as the director of, of hockey ops. You've got Kyle Dubas, the Sippy Cup. You've got uh, Brandon Pridham, assistant general manager, and Lawrence Gilman. Now, Lawrence served as the Canucks assistant general manager from 2008 to 2015. Before that, he's with the Jets and the Coyotes. He's managed AHL teams in the past. Um, he's someone that I think is a great addition for the Marlies. And what's interesting about him is he is... So I want to talk to you about this, Blake. So he's a very forward thinker, Gilman. And he helped Vegas with the expansion draft. And he was telling them, use your cap space as a weapon. So absorb bad contracts. And in lieu of that, you know, get assets like they did with Carlson. Look how well it turned out. The Leafs have $24 million in cap space this summer. If they don't get a big-time free agent and they're thinking, what do we do with this, this, this kind of money, right? You know, maybe they want to save the big, big bucks for the big three. Why not absorb a bad contract, bury it, and get a young player, a very good young player? Think of it. You look at a team that's really cap-strapped, and you take, say, their second, third-best prospect to relieve them of, like, being airtight against the cap. That could be a huge benefit for the Leafs. Because then you get another guy that's a, a young player on, you know, a cheap deal, relatively. A team, uh, a scenario like that that comes to mind for me is the Chicago Blackhawks. Take on Brent Seabrook's contract for an elite prospect. That, that, would, that would, A, be a, a right-handed defenseman that could still be of some use. Obviously not the cap hit that he's at, but... If you can get a another forward to get in that group or another really good prospect on the back end, that that'd be something that I could see the the Leafs definitely doing. But I I think that's only they only do that if they miss out on Tavares and a, like another big fish in the off season because which you, I believe they you will still have to yeah they they're obviously going to make a push for one of the big guys this off season. But that is an interesting uh, s- scenario that the Leafs could do. But they also have to improve their team this year because they're not one of the teams that are going to sit back. They, they know they can win now. So I think it's got to be a deal that can still improve their, their team going forward next year. Yes, but you can just find... like I think they're going to go out for a guy like Paul Stasny, for example. I wouldn't be surprised if they throw a deal at Jumbo Joe. But my, my point is, you're going to have... like Regardless, if you go for those guys and not Tavares Carlson, you're going to have extra cap space. So my point is, with that space, use it as a weapon. And that's something that Lawrence has done in, in past gigs. Wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we see something like that. You know, here's an example. The Winnipeg Jets. Dmitry Kulikov's contract is god-awful. You know, it's, it's, it's going to hurt the Jets. It's not terrible. He's still a serviceable defenseman. But, you know, it's about 4.3, I believe, for the next three years. And the Jets are really cap-strapped. You throw in 
Kulikov and Ian Tulik of uh, The Athletic brought up a proposition of like Kulikov and Jack Rosovic. Think of it from, you want to do that? No. Well, who are you giving up? What do you mean? For those two guys. Kulikov and Rosovic. For? For, that's true. If I were to do that, I would say Kulikov and uh, who they draft in the first round. Don't say Veselanin because they're not trading him. Why do I think they drafted Kale Foot? They did not. They did not. They would need a defense. Uh, I mean, these are all very hypothetical deals. I think it's a very it's, it's a very good it's a very interesting idea. But no, I think uh, Gilman's going to add some great leadership to this. To to Dubis, not leadership in a sense, but kind of some more gu- some more experience and guidance. Like he turned down uh, the commissioner job for the ECHL before taking this job, which is pretty interesting. And you know, in the in the past, he's he's really helped Vancouver with their drafting, and he's kind of got an older style, like you said, the straightforward thinking. But he did a really nice job in Vancouver. Like he gets a lot of praise for what went on there. He has a new Vancouver thinking. All- like, just, just want to clarify that for everyone. He's got a, a new kind of thing. He's not old school. Mm-hmm. But he did a very good job in Vancouver. You know, Vancouver was that great team for a number of years. They went to the cup final, obviously, a couple presidents, trophies. But they, he did a, they did a really nice job there. And he's going to help with player personnel. He's going to help manage the club's player development department. And obviously, the GM of the Marlies. So I think with him and Dubas... Dubis obviously needed some, some more people around him, and I think this is a great fit. I think that an interesting thing, too, is... So, Gilman was, like, the capologist in Vancouver, and he was the other man to the cap. He won't be here, because that's Brandon Pridham's job. But it's interesting, because what Gilman did in Vancouver was he was able to keep that core together for a while and convince players to take less money and, you know, stay in the fold and sell them what they're winning. Toronto's going to be in that situation pretty soon. You know, they're they're... They're going to be, they're almost even close to that. They're, in two years, they could be in a cap crunch trying to get guys to stay and stuff. Gilman's a great piece to add there because he's been there. He, he has been through that experience. And to have that guy there with Dubas is huge because you need guys that have been through this in various instances to, to put with Dubas. You've got to surround him with smart people. No, and, and then I think Brandon Pridham's also a really good promotion because, you know, in the past, he's had a key role in salary cap anal- analysts. That obviously helps. He, you know, He's had a, a key role in in the well. He started his career, his fifteen year career, as a coordinator in the in central scouting. So he yeah. he brings a great background to the cap management, along with a solid scouting background. Because I'm pretty worried with Dale Hunter gone, Mark Hunter. Uh, or Mark Hunter. I always get those two fucking mixed up. Mark Hunter, he was their you know their draft guru. Like who who becomes that? <sighs> who takes that role now? Because that was such a key factor. He made a lot of great picks, and you know that's so, that's kind of where my doubt and worry comes from with these uh these two guys leaving and then these two guys new guys coming in. That would be my only one concern. What what, what would your concern be? In what sense? Well, with Lou and Hunter leaving, and it's kind of you know it's a new it's a new vibe around this organization. It's a new new way of thinking. New new faces, new personalities in the media. Yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be different. What's your your kind of prediction or concern? 
I, I think that Lou's time was up, and that's fine. And I think Dubish be GM. I think the Hunter one's interesting because I think that with Mark Hunter, you had a proven guy that like he he had he has one really good skill to him in, in hockey, and, and that's finding talent. When you lose that, there's no way around it. Like, listen, I still think they made the right decision in picking Dubas, but when you lose that, that is really tough. Because there's no guarantee you can, you can get that back in other ways. But I will say, let's be real. There, there's a scouting staff there. there there's, there's more people than just Hunter. I, I really don't think they think that big of a hit. Dubas has always been involved big time in any draft he's at the helm of. He's a guy that, that knows talent as well. I think that with this stage of the Leafs, it's not as big of a concern that you're you're losing Hunter because you got good value out of him. You know, you got Mitch Marner over Hannafin. You you really got M- Hunter to push for Marner. Um, you know, like you said the same for Nylander. Who knows? But now it's about this core. They have their core established with the extra pieces. So you know, to be quite frank. It's more about the the guy, the diamonds in the rough for them. And you know, not to say that's easy, but I just think that you know, without Mark Hunter there, I don't think they'll they'll be you know killed, but they'll definitely miss him. Like he's he's great at what he does. And that's a huge hit. But I will say, again, I will reiterate this. Dubas is very involved. He's always involved. I remember seeing him the Sioux, and he was always on top of the Madison kids. He's a rink rat, and I hate the fact there's an analytics term on him. The guy's, like, an intelligent guy that uses analytics. So does Lawrence Gilman. So does Brandon Pridham. So does so many other GMs league. It's not freaking Moneyball every time. Just that a, a guy uses one of the tools... It's not the only base of his decision making. You know, I think the, I think Dubas will be great. I think it's it completely. I don't mean this like to overstate this. I think that this is a new era and in just the way things are run, like big time. No, yeah, this is a with with Lou and Hunter gone. This gives Dubas the a huge opportunity from the get go to really take over this team, make it his, make the the culture his. And it's a big opportunity for him. He he can really seize the moment, and I think he will. He's obviously, like you said, he's a really smart guy. But w- one kind of concern, another concern I I have from this, uh, with Lou Lamorello taking over hockey ops for or president of hockey ops for the New York Islanders. What does this mean for John Tavares? Because we know they they met. I don't know. Do you, do you think it's like? I mean, if you're John Tavares, this kind of decision though, it doesn't hinge on like like. Lou definitely increases the Islanders' odds, don't get me wrong, but if you're John Tavares, like, you're not going to stay just for Lou, right? I mean, you're, you're not going to stay for like, a guy's track record. He's a proven winner. He's got three cops, and he's, he did a great... His stint with the Leafs was really good. For, for what it was, I mean, in, in the way he did it, it was diligent. He created a culture, an atmosphere. He essentially trained Dubas. You know, that, that's one way you can look at it. You know? he, he was there as the, the godfather, I don't know, though, if that puts that much of an impact in a, in a decision for Tavares that sets him for the rest of his career. That's just me, though. Yeah, because also, it, it, like, lose 75. So if John Tavares signs an eight-year contract, in order for, if Lou stayed for that whole contract, that would make Lou... 83. 83. That's an old man. Like, he's got to leave hockey at some point, and it's got to be within the next five years, like five at the most. I think, so, what's his deal, Blake? Like, did they announce it or no? They did not, I don't think they announced it, but, you know, for John Tavares, yes, this is a big, this is a a bonus, like a, a good guy to bring in, but it, it it can't make you, make or break your decision. Like, yeah. if, I, if I'm John Tavares, I'm still going to July 1st, 
as a free agent, you know, you, you got to hear all the options. You're going to get money thrown at you. You got to weigh out all your options. You know, a lot of teams are going to be offering him a contract, not just the teams that we think of. Like teams are going to make a move to to try and make a run at him. So he's going to have a lot of options. You you can't you cannot base Lou Lamarello being hired to make your decision. So that's really all I have to say for it. But Lou is a an intimidating guy, and he's a good negotiator. So it I still have that kind of seed of doubt in my mind that he might decide to sign there and might get convinced to re-sign there with Lou at the helm now. Let's let's shift over to more matters in the free agency market. And the recent signing that's been announced is Vanner Kane signing a seven-year deal for $7 million. Um, initial thoughts, a lot of people are like, oh, you found a home, you know, good for him. My initial thought is, holy crap, that's a lot of money. That's yeah, that is getting paid. What do you think about the deal? I want to know what you think first. I, I don't like it. Uh, it's not, this is not like Doug Wilson. He, he very rarely hands out these big contracts to guys he doesn't know well. Like, especially with, you'll have Logan Couture and Joe Pavelski. They have one year left on their contract. They're both making $6 million, so, you know, they're both going to go up, pro- likely above Evander Kane's pay. So, you know, you put both those guys at $8 million, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. So, for me, the Evander Kane deal, ah, I, I, this guy's got to take a step forward for this deal to really be worth it. He's got to take a step forward on and off the ice. You know, he can't be a dis- distraction at all. He's got to be a good, good guy in the community. And he's also got to bring his point totals up. And but obviously he'll have the, the chance to. He'll be on that top line with Joe Pavelski, but he's got to bring it up. No, I agree. I, I think that, I mean, obviously Kane, like, Kane played the way he did in the playoffs, and he played very well, but the seven years thing just kind of, like, I mean, you're expecting Evander Kane to be a $7 million player for not just, like, the next two years, but for seven years? Like, don't get me wrong. Evander Kane, when he's on his game, he's on his game. And, he, you know, he's a great mix of physicality, speed, a, ri- a wicked wrist shot. But I find this troubling because for the Sharks, you're kind of, you're now setting in Kane as a stepping stone. He is now a building block. And in what world is Evander Kane worth $7 million in this kind of cap climate? Is what I'm saying, Brooksy. I, I think he's like, for Doug Wilson, he's got to be banking on that cap definitely go up. But I think he was also a little forced to make this deal. You know, his team's in a win-now mentality. Brett Burns isn't getting any older. Pavelski's touching on 30. Uh, Vlasic's not getting any, any older or any younger. And with the, the market the way it is, you know, the, the wingers, obviously they don't really need a centerman if they can re-sign Jumbo Joe to a nice, con- nice short, short, cheap contract. But with the free agent marking market looking the way it is, the, the other top winger in this is James Van Riemsdyk. So I don't know. I think Doug Wilson looked at this and said, all right, I got the cap. I got to upgrade my team. This is the safest option. No one in this in this pool of of wingers is going to be relatively cheap. Let's get the one of the best options, if not the the best winger. And you know, let's you you're going to have to make a commitment to him if he if you want him to sign there. Like it it was it was interesting to see that Evander Kane didn't you know he took this option and he didn't want to wait till July first to hear what other teams had to say, which shows a 
shows that he really likes San Jose. So that's another good thing. It's not the worst deal in the world, but it is a lot of money. But, no, you know, Doug, Doug Wilson deal. had to make the deal. Now Kane's their highest paid player for a year because Couture and Pavelski are going to need deals next year. And I'm looking at San Jose's cap situation. And now that I think of it, it may not be all that bad thinking that if, if they don't resign... Okay, there's two ways to think about it. It's not a bad contract if, you, if, if the cap rises to what it should rise, so like around $81 million, and then you have another star in there, and you know they keep the band back together. But if, if those guys walk, like Pavelski and Couture, and you just have Kane there, you're really in trouble. Didn't, didn't Kane oh, play with screwed. Couture? No, Kane played with Pavelski. Right, okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, on that top line. I mean, they have a lot of contracts also to re-sign. You know, Thomas Hurdle needs a new contract this year. He's going to get a, a, a definite, definite pay raise. Yannick Hansen, maybe they want to bring him back. Chris Tierney, they likely want to bring back. He needs a new contract. You know, Joel Ward needs a new contract. Don't know if they're going to re-sign him. And then the next year, they got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve guys that need new contracts. So Doug Wilson's got a lot of work cut out for him. And yes, you can look at the San Jose Sharks and say they have a lot of cap room, but they got some guys that are going to, some big players that are going to need big contracts. So and this deal a, could come back to bite them in the ass very soon. They'll probably take a swing we'll free agency. Yeah, likely. Big time. And, and they have the, the means to do it. Let's move on to the World Championships. Well, one, one thing I want to touch with this, what does this mean for JVR, and what does this mean for Nylander for their oh, contracts? Sorry. Um, Nylander has no correlation, in my, in my opinion. I think that he's younger. There's different comparables. I think that, for argument's sake, I think, I think Nylander gets $6 million, and that kind of... That, I think, it could be on two years. Like It, it could be a bridge... I don't really know what exactly to do, but if, if so, and you got to get him on a Nikolai Ehlers contract, that's a steal, especially if you're core piece going forward, because I think a lot of people can agree, William Nylander may not be playing like right now, but there, there's a good chance he starts to play like superstar. You know, there's always that chance, and even if not, a very, very good complimentary piece to them. JVR, no, it, definitely. JVR, though, we talked about this. I'm so sorry I forgot to talk about it, because this was our main sticking point with it. JVR is a weird case now. Like, I, I just... You hope someone doesn't pay him more, close to, like, Kane money or more. You just hope, because you know that contract would stink. The, the back half, if, say, hypothetically, say JVR got 7 for 7 from a team, that back half of that contract, I can't imagine it's going to look good at all, because JVR is the kind of player that will slow down. Oh, yeah. That bigger body, not the fastest skater. You can't rely on hands and in tight in tight hands and, and deflections and stuff like that for that for the back half of your career, you know? You gotta be a really hard working player. Not saying that he isn't, but he's not he doesn't get in there into the the hard spots of the ice as much as he should if he was to get paid as a seven million dollar player. But you know someone's going to I I have no doubt in my mind that someone's gonna give him that contract because Seven? Seven. Because no. it's gonna come down I think it's gonna come down to a bidding war. Teams are going to need that goal scoring on the wings, and it's going to come down to two or three, maybe four teams bidding for him. And you know, someone throws seven for seven at him. You know, he's taking that, and and as he should. 
like JVR is a guy where it's like he's a great like rental like this past year you know like you put him in your you plug him in your middle six he's on your first unit power play he scores goals he does like really he does really really simple plays and they work but he can't play defense and you kind of shelter him right seven years of that and you're seven you, you can't bury that like you can't hide that like that would start to suck pretty quickly in my opinion yeah that JVR, you know, he's, he doesn't play that much. You know, he plays around 14 minutes a night. Yeah, exactly. He's not a first-line winger. And to be paid $7 million, that's being paid like a first-line winger. So, so let's I don't just, know. Whoever signs him, I feel bad for. Let's just be safe in saying, like, there's no way JVR is Leaf next year. Literally, no way. Oh, no way. Like, gonzo. Yeah. I've been saying that. I've been, I said that from the trade deadline. You know, they, they could have traded him. And it would have been a good idea. Like, they were one game away from advancing to the second round. Why would you... I don't understand why you would have traded him. Because you could have gotten a first-round pick for him. Because they're not going to sign him this season. Let's move on to the Worlds. Tell me about the Worlds. You're you're quite angry about uh, what transpired. Yeah, what the hell happened to Canada? You know, I know this isn't the the most highly coveted international tournament for Hockey Canada or for players from Canada. But come on, you don't meddle with a team that has McDavid? That's ridiculous. They also had other guys like Barzell. He had over over 82 points this season. RNH, Bo Horvat, Colton Pranko, Aaron Eckblad, Braden Shen, Ryan O'Reilly, Josh Bailey, uh, to name a few more. Do you think those players Jordan Everly. I think they do because that's still got to be a sense of pride. Like, you lost to Switzerland in the semifinals. Not about that. I don't mean do they care about they lost. Do they care? Like, do they care about the games in general? Like, they're, for them, they just, a lot of them play playoffs. Some of them have short seasons. They're in Europe. Great place to visit. They're chilling. Like, do they really give a shit? I'd be very disappointed to find out if they didn't give a shit because, you know, you, you're putting that maple leaf on you're you're playing for your country you're playing on an international stage it you know it's not like people don't see this tournament a lot of people still still watch this and to put up that that result a a fourth place finish is very bad you know they lost to the u.s in the, their first game and they lose the u.s in this in the bronze medal game there's two slaps in the face they lost to to finland badly in the round robin like they shit the bed in that game and then you lose, the, you know, they had one big win. They had one win against an actual international team, and that was against Russia in the quarterfinals. Good win. Great, great job. But then you lose to Switzerland in the semifinals, 3-2. to two. Like, are you kidding me? Manor, like, the last guy, the goalie's name for the Switzerland was Ginobili. Ginobili stood on his freaking head, and this guy, this guy didn't even have matching gear. Like, he had a Brian's blocker, um, different color pads, and then like a Bauer, a Bauer glove. Like this guy, he literally looked like some, like obviously he's he won he's won goaltender of the year in the Swiss league, th- uh, three times. But this guy honestly looked like a, a like a, a minor league a minor league goalie. Like he he just didn't look like a professional goalie. And this guy beat the the Canadians like. It was insane. I know the Swiss still had some good players like Roman Yossi, Nino Niederreier, Kevin Fiala, but they did not have the type of roster that Canada had. And if I'm looking at Canada and evaluating this tournament, this got this has got to fall mainly on the coaches. So, going forward, 
do you think that there's a, a personnel change in terms of who's running? Like, I think it's Sean Burke that runs it. I may be wrong, but do you think there's a personnel change there, or do they look maybe for junior players or something like that? Because they, they did get Di Pietro. Maybe they, they, they use this opportunity to throw some junior guys in there. I, I don't know. As a development. No, because I don't think... Because junior guys are in the playoffs during this time. So, no, um, I don't think they would they would bring in junior players because you're still trying to win this tournament. You're going to have a better chance of winning the tournament with pro players compared to junior players. And the World Juniors is where the junior players get their time and get their time to shine, especially at the under-18s and under-17s. So, I, no, I think you definitely got to stick with picking NHL players, but... It's got to be, you got to fucking have a better result with Connor McDavid on your team. Like, you had the best player in the tournament, and you couldn't, like, you are the best player in the world on your team, arguably, and you couldn't get a freaking medal. Like, I get it, your your goalies were two backups, Kemper and McElhaney. But, by, by the way, they did not play well. But to not get a medal with Connor McDavid on your team, that's ridiculous. And all the other guys weren't scoring either. Like McDavid, they only had one player in the top twenty goal score and top twenty scoring of the tournament, and that was McDavid. No one else was in the top twenty. Now we got to wrap things up pretty soon, so I'm gonna get you to talk about another tournament, the Memorial Cup. Tell me about that. You've been you've been watching the cup. Oh yeah, I've been watching. I got it here on NHL Network. It's it's been very entertaining. I like watching really good CHL hockey. It's always fun to watch. It's awesome, especially because the teams all are loaded up. Like they, they all make deadline deals and they're all pretty stacked. Swift Kerr made an absolute blockbuster this year. Like they traded, fuck, they got, they got Gennaro, uh, Matteo Gennaro was one of them. They got uh, it was a huge. It was the one that Stotts was in, and like they also traded for Stuart Skinner, the Edmonton yeah. Oilers prospect. Yep, like they. It's so. It's really neat to see. I mean, Acadie especially Bathurst, we were talking about this. Call? You said that what what team like Swift current What's the other one? The Q. The, yeah, the smallest towns. Like <laughs> those are the two smallest markets. The CHL, the, which is uh, awesome. Swift Current Broncos, because the tournament's in Regina. They've had a nice fan base at that tournament. It's only like a three-hour drive, I believe. A couple of my friends actually have been at those games, mm-hmm. so it's been cool to cool to watch. But unfortunately, the uh, Swift Current Broncos are eliminated, and the semifinals actually is today, the day we're recording likely the day after you hear this, but it's between the Hamilton Bulldogs and Regina Pats. The Teton, Acadie Bathurst, are in the final, which is insane. They got a player, I don't know, obviously people have heard of him, but Noah Dobson is leading the tournament in scoring. Watching this guy play, whoever picks him at the draft is going to be very lucky. I could, I could be... I, I wouldn't be surprised Electric. if this guy maybe uh, bump, got bumped up to fifth overall in the draft. Seeing a team pick him that high, yeah, yeah. This guy, watch him, no. watch him play in both ends of no. the end, ends of the ice. No way, Blake. I watch every game. I think he creeps in the top ten. Mark my words. No way. No way. Top five. But no, and then you got other other guys in this uh, tournament that are already drafted. But guys like Sam Steele, uh, Robert Thomas. These two guys were lower round for, lower. Lower first round picks, and they're lighting it up. Um, Robert Thomas won the playoff MVP, and Jordan Cairo was the league MVP in the regular season and the the leading scorer. 
These two guys are St. Louis Blues picks. These two guys are likely to be Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas are likely to be on on the St. Louis Blues next year. And then Sam Steele, who the Leafs actually traded away, that was the the first round pick in the Frederick Anderson trade. He has been lighting it up for the host Regina Pats. You know, this tournament is always filled with those those elite scores and it's it's awesome to watch. I, it's very entertaining hockey. A lot of turnovers. This has been a great show, Blake. I'm so jealous of you that you're going to the Cup Final Game 1. We, gotta, we will put on our Instagram what shirt Blake decides to wear. Surely it'll be a funny one. Thank you so much for listening. Please tweet us uh, tweets at hashtag Blake and Jake Scrum. We'd love to answer those at the end of the show. And uh, we'll be sure to get some for next episode. Blake, how long is the drive to Vegas? I believe it's going to be three hours. Not too bad. Yeah. Road trip. All right. Well, have fun, buddy. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. And be sure to listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and where you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Blake and Jake podcast. For updated info, follow them on Twitter at Blake and Jake pod.